Thanks for joining the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast, where we discuss God, the Bible, and God's purpose for your life. Be inspired and encouraged to engage in transforming the world around you. listening online later on. We miss you. But uh, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a couple things, uh, in particular, about the spontaneous multiplication or organic growth of churches. And what this really is, is a process of multiplying disciples. Now, throughout all of the world, uh, we see the churches are still learning how to cope with various lockdowns, restrictions, uh, where governments have imposed different things upon religious institutions, not allowing people to gather together. And churches, as we know them, have struggled to learn how to accommodate in the midst of these things. But church itself really is the gathering of believers. Now, I have a simple definition based on my understanding of what the Bible explains the church to be. That is a group of believers that gather together for worship, prayer, study, and fellowship, and for pursuing God's purposes and his great commission. So church in itself could be very large, could be very small. And as we are gathering right now through technology, and in a sense, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so as we've come together, uh, we are able to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, to move through us, and to accomplish his purposes and his will on the earth. Now, the greatest needs that we find around the world can be met by a healthy, thriving church. With the body of Christ being healthy and pursuing purposes of the Lord, we find that many of the struggles, the problems, and the needs of the world can be met. Does it mean we can solve all the problems? Does it mean that we can end poverty? We can end human trafficking? We can end atrocities that are uh, committed by evil people? Maybe. Maybe not, but I do find that we keep the evil at bay when the church is healthy, thriving, and growing. So what does it mean to have a healthy and thriving or growing church? A lot of leaders assume that that only means numbers. Well, numbers are important because numbers represent people. I remember a good friend of mine who was in Kenya, uh, his name was Hassan, uh, Pastor Peter Omakote, know him, Bishop Hassan Kaliba was a leader in uh, Kenya and East Africa, and he went home to be with the Lord several years ago. But I remember he had a sermon, and he was talking about church growth, and uh, in his most eloquent uh, voice, he would say, the Lord is concerned about numbers. The Lord is concerned about the church growing in numbers. In fact, 
He is so interested in the church growing that he has a book of the Bible named after it, the book of Numbers. It was rather comical, but uh, he continued on in his message and really stressed the importance of church growth uh, to the place where we would understand and receive this idea that we need to grow the church. We need to pursue souls. We need to pursue the work of evangelism. And then, furthermore, we must continue on with discipleship. The big key to seeing a healthy, thriving church is discipleship. That's why Joshua Nations exist. We exist to disciple the next generation of church leaders. And through that, we raise up new evangelists, new pastors, new church planters. We're able to target unreached areas, unreached people, and see true transformation take place on earth. That's what it talks about when Jesus tells his disciples how to pray. They asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And uh, he, uh, we know the model prayer, uh, but he says we, we should pray that the Lord's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And in order for that to happen, that means having a, a full, healthy, holistic representation of the gospel in action here on earth. That means disciples. That means disciples making disciples, disciples making disciples who make disciples, who continue to reach out further and further for the lost. So let me ask you a couple of questions, and these will be somewhat rhetorical. And if you're listening online, then you can uh, ponder these things as you listen to this teaching. Some people are concerned about the rapid multiplication of churches or the rapid multiplication of disciples. So can this be healthy? Is it something that can be done in a healthy manner? What do you believe are the evidences of health or dysfunction when there is rapid multiplication of disciples and churches. I want you to think about these things, write them down. If uh, you're listening to uh, go back and review these, what do you think are evidences of healthy church multiplication or evidences of dysfunction? A third question is, does the multiplication of churches seem biblical? Well, I'll go ahead and answer that for you right now. Yes, multiplying churches, multiplying disciples is biblical. But you'll find even in some denominations and groups that uh, they do not want to multiply. They seem to be very synchristic. They just want to pull everything into them rather than to multiply. The last question is, is the way the church is structured in its government, its hierarchy, its leadership, is that important or not so important? And what would that look like? And the reason why I propose these questions as leaders, it's imperative that we consider the things that we need to do to help expand the kingdom of God without perpetuating any kind of dysfunctional belief, bad doctrine, uh, bad dogma, and any kind of things that would hinder the growth of discipleship around the world. I remember uh, 10 years ago, I was out on a run, and while I was running, I was praying and just asking the Lord specifically some questions about multiplication 
and planting churches. At that time, the Lord had really put on my heart to, uh, to give my life towards multiplying disciples and churches. And I'd found a number of ministries uh, and curriculum and training that would assist in that process. But as I looked not only at those materials, but as those materials were being used in other places around the world, I was asking the Lord, is this effective? And the Lord said, whatever you do, do not multiply dysfunction. And that really stuck with me. And so I began to receive training, collect different resources, uh, partner with other church planting and discipleship training ministries. But I was always reminded, it's like the Holy Spirit continued to whisper in my ear. He said, whatever you do, don't multiply dysfunction. Now, there are uh, movements that are out there that are happening that are so focused on growth and numbers and multiplication that they are not concerned about the health of the growth. Now, we know that if something has a problem, a dysfunction, or an inherited trait that is not healthy, that when that thing reproduces, whether that is a person or an animal or a plant, that often that dysfunction or that abnormality is reproduced. Have you seen that happen before? I know I have. I've looked at a number of churches, and I won't name any denominations or fellowships, but where there is a mother church, whoever started this church planting, or whoever started this disciple-making movement. And you find that whatever it is being taught at the top often goes all the way through down to the bottom and to other churches and, and to other disciples. It's true that those who are underneath or follow a leader, they reproduce or exemplify or even resemble the character traits of that leader. It's important for me as the one who is leading Joshua Nations that I exemplify what I see in Scripture to the best of my ability so that those who come along as part of our team, those who follow Joshua Nations, are not following something that's dysfunctional. And at the moment that I find something in my own life that needs to be addressed, then I work diligently to correct those things. There's this concern about rapidly multiplying disciples. Let me ask you, what are the characteristics or the milestones that are necessary before you allow someone to potentially be called a member in your church? Even if you're not the pastor, you can answer and just let me know what it is within your church that is required before you can become a member. What I've observed around the world is that uh, different churches have different levels of requirement before someone can be considered a member or even be considered for potential leadership at some point. Now, let's just give a, an example here. Um, let's, let's take membership off the table because membership means one thing for one person and another thing for another. 
But let's just consider the process of discipleship. When you lead someone to the Lord, what are the very first steps that you take to disciple that person? I'm going to answer from an American perspective, since that is my home church, and I will give kind of general overview of how many churches operate. When someone is one to the Lord, often that person is invited to show up on a Sunday morning to attend church. After that, the person who gave the evangelistic presentation would then perhaps follow up with them and say, what did you think about Sunday morning? What did you think about this message? Maybe they talk about it and they say, great, you know, I would love for you to come back and join us each Sunday. We'd love for you to be part of our church family. And so that new believer then starts coming to church on Sundays. Hopefully they're coming faithfully. And then most churches then have kind of a new believers class. And that new believers class often is uh, four weeks, six weeks, or maybe a little bit longer. And uh, after that, the person who's leading that new believers class then tries to find a place for that person to serve in the church. Now, this is fairly common all around the world. Uh, there's a problem, though, that often the goal is to get that person serving in the church rather than getting them to have a healthy relationship with Christ and have a solid biblical foundation of how to live as a follower of Christ. And then what we end up doing is producing and multiplying good church goers. And if we have good church goers, we don't have good church growers. We don't have disciples. We have people who show up, who become part of a program or a system. And so really the key comes back to creating a healthy process of discipleship. And with healthy discipleship, then we can have multiplication that is effective. Now, I know that's a stereotype and not all churches are that way. And I trust that many of you have implemented better processes than just getting people connected to a process of serving in a church. But this is what I've observed around the world and thousands of churches that I've been able to uh, visit and observe. Okay, so some of the things that we need to focus on then is number one, obedience. We need to train the person, the new believer, for a lifestyle of obedience. Right now, much of the church, at least in places that are not suffering intense persecution, preach a gospel of accommodation and a lifestyle of complacency and compromise. I'll say that one more time. We've preached a gospel of accommodation and taught a lifestyle of complacency and compromise. But the gospel and scripture doesn't give us place for compromise, doesn't give us place for accommodation. It doesn't give us an excuse to potentially contextualize things to a place that removes the truth of obedience. 
So we must teach people to obey the commands of Christ, obey what scripture says. That is what it means to be a disciple. As we do that, then we can begin to work with them further in the formation of leadership. How do you form a leader? You know, leadership in itself is influence. And every one of you, on your best days and your worst days, you are a leader. Whether you have it by position, title, or office, or none of it, you are a leader. Leadership is just influence, and we influence someone or many. I influence people in my home. I influence people on the Joshua Nation staff. I influence you. I influence churches when I preach. You have a similar thing. You are a leader. Now, in order to develop other leaders, you must influence them in godly ways. So that means you must live the lifestyle of obedience. You must portray a lifestyle of obedience. You must be able to show others the path to live the same kind of life that would honor the Lord by surrendering to him. A lifestyle of obedience often is one that is disciplined. Now, we uh, went through a series on uh, spiritual discipline several months ago. Some of you may remember that. I taught that over a couple of weeks, and we have that in our core foundations training. Uh, but uh, we go through a number of spiritual disciplines that are important. When I look at those uh, growth tracks or those new members classes or those uh, different progressions of basic discipleship that are used all around the world, many of them don't include any of the spiritual disciplines. They don't include how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to give, uh, how to be quiet and listen to the Lord, how to worship. They don't uh, uh, talk about uh, fasting, uh, don't talk about tithing, all these different things that are really critical elements of our faith. There's a number of them, there's, there's many more, and that's a whole different lesson. But these are the kinds of things that we must teach and help others get into their lives so that they can reproduce them. I laugh a little bit because my 12-year-old son, who many of you know, Judah, um, he doesn't necessarily enjoy going to the youth group at church. I said, Judah, you should go. You need some friends. He says, I have lots of friends at school and sports and he does. I said, but it would be good for you to go to the youth group at church. He said, well, they're the same people. And I said, well, what's wrong with the youth group? He said, dad, I don't learn anything there. He said, it's just games and it's, it's no, he said, it's kind of fun, but he said the teaching, he's like, I don't learn anything. It's nothing new. It's stuff I already know. Well, in a way that's funny and encouraging to me because in our home, he's getting the message. He's getting truth. He's getting godly principles imparted into his life. And uh, at 12 years old, he understands more than most adults. And I think that is an awesome thing. He's being discipled just by being 
alive and part of my family. But not everyone has the benefit of that. Not everyone has the benefit of living with you and being part of your family and able to grow and to glean from your life and lifestyle. So we must be intentional about reaching out to others and helping them on this path of growth. So we do this as leaders to influence others that they would also live a disciplined life. The other evidence, so we've talked about obedience, we've talked about leadership development, and the other evidence of multiplication and growth is that it is a transgenerational thing. Well, that means that it crosses beyond you and another generation to a third, fourth, and fifth generation. True multiplication is not just addition. It's not just making one more. It's making many more and multiple generations beyond yourself. If the generation beyond you, your sons and daughters, your spiritual sons and daughters, your Timothys, your Tituses, your John Marks, your Barnabases, whatever, if they don't multiply beyond themselves, then it was not multiplication. It was addition. It was a, a, a one-time deal. But that's not God's way. God's way is that we would multiply and extend beyond one, two, three, four generations. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 2.2. And in that particular passage, we see four or even five generations, depending on how you interpret that scripture, being affected. This is the kind of thing that we always need to keep in our mind when we're doing ministry. If it's not something that can be reproduced beyond me to someone else, to another and another, then we're not doing it right. I was talking to a guy who uh, at one time was the uh, international director for, uh, for YWAM. He was the second in command over everything around the world. And he was doing this uh, teaching at a church about missions and evangelism and discipleship. And uh, he made it very clear that we have failed in basic rapid discipleship. And so the church staff was just saying, well, well, how is this happening? Explain to us what's going on. How are we missing it? And he just gave a real quick example. He said, if I'm sitting on an airplane and I have the opportunity to talk with someone for several hours, they can't go anywhere, and they're receptive and wanting to have a conversation, I'll share the gospel with them. And if they receive Jesus, I immediately teach them that they need to get into the word of God. And he would carry around an extra Bible or two with him so that he could give a Bible away to someone who receives Christ for the first time that doesn't have a Bible. While he was sitting there and had that captive audience, he would go on and teach them how to read the Bible. He'd take them to the book of John, and he would show them this is a good place to start, to learn about Jesus. And then he would give them a brief introduction on how to do an inductive Bible study, really just to study the Bible, asking questions, taking notes, reflecting upon the things that the person is reading, and to then meditate upon those things. He would then teach them how to pray. And all this is happening in a matter of 15 or 20 minutes. He would lead them in the Lord's Prayer. He would explain to them, we need to go to God 
with thanksgiving. We need to go to him being uh, grateful for what he's done. We need to go to him in repentance and ask for forgiveness of sins. We need to ask the Lord to provide for our needs. Ask the Lord to give us the ability to overcome uh, temptation and that we wouldn't be held captive by the enemy. And we need to ask the Lord that his purpose would be extended here on earth and that his will would be done uh, no matter what, what, what the case would be and that God's purposes would take place. So he teach them how to pray. And then he said, you know, the next thing we need to uh, discuss is uh, as a believer, it's important that we share this with other people. He'd take them to the Great Commission. Say, so you need to tell people about Jesus because they're lost. They're dying. And if they don't get this message, they will go to hell. And you had a wonderful opportunity today to surrender and give your life to Jesus. And then he would dis discuss generosity and giving. He wouldn't go to Malachi and, and talk to them about, you know, here's a law, here's a command, and if you don't do it, you're under a curse. He would say, a Christian is a generous person. And as you look at the study of the Bible, 10% uh, was the standard, but now even today, people give way more than 10% because of what God has given to them. And we give of our resources, we give of our time, we give our money to help and bless others and to extend God's purposes. He would do all this in 20 or 30 minutes, and that person receives more training and discipleship than most people get in six weeks of a church growth, growth track or a new members class. And so the folks that were evangelized by this brother, they quickly had an understanding of what it looked like to be a follower of Christ, to live a disciplined life that would follow the commands of Jesus. We need to begin to multiply these things. We don't need to take six months or a year before we teach someone about baptism, teach them about communion, uh, teach them that they're supposed to give. I think a lot of pastors and leaders are worried about scaring people off, running them away from the church when we talk about giving. Well, that's why many of our churches have no money. We haven't taught the people to give, and they show up every Sunday. Maybe they show up on a Wednesday night. They come to other classes, and they benefit from the things that the churches offer, and we don't ask them or instruct them to give until they've been coming for six months, nine months, or even a year. And beyond that, they're also missing out incredible blessings on what they should be doing because this is a command. So we have this obedience development and we have this transgenerational impact that takes place as we reproduce ourselves and reproduce healthy, disciplined Christian living. So these things are part of what we find are core elements in a disciple-making movement or a church-planting movement. As these are pushed out, as these are multiplied and replicated, the next things that we identify in this is that these new groups or churches find their identity in Christ. They also find that they have a firm foundation in their faith because of the biblical 
training that they've just received. And then they also find that they have the ability to reproduce and share with other people. One of the most exciting things uh, as a parent is to see your children grow up to be healthy followers of Christ, to be able to take care of themselves, provide for themselves, and then begin to also reach out to others and multiply themselves, the, the godly lifestyle that they've received into other people. That's encouraging, isn't it? Now, some of us have children who are grown. Some have children that are still at home. You know, my oldest son, Marcus, who's adopted, he's 26. He's out of the house. He's doing well. He's serving the Lord. Uh, he has a good job and he is able to perpetuate a godly lifestyle by exemplifying that in his daily activity, as well as sharing the gospel with other people. And I know he does that. And that is when, as a father, I can be really happy and excited about what God has done in him. The same thing happens with spiritual sons and daughters, as well as churches. We want to see that they're self-governing, they can take care of themselves, they can support themselves, so they're self-supporting, and then also self-propagating. And that means that they have the ability to grow beyond themselves without outside influence. So why are we talking about these things? Through Joshua Nations, uh, it is important that we focus on our mission, not only to disciple people, to reach the lost, but it's to create a multiplying movement that brings transformation to nations. And if it doesn't bring transformation, then we're just multiplying a program. And that's not what we are about. That's not what God's heart is. There's wonderful programs all around the world. There's great materials. There's great seminaries. The heart of God is not about those things. It's not about those resources. Those are just tools. Really, our goal is to multiply disciples, multiply churches, reach the lost, and to complete the Great Commission. So through this, we find that there is a reproductive cycle that we begin that needs to take place. And then it begins to cultivate fruit. What's it mean to cultivate fruit? Well, more specifically, it means that, well, as scripture states, you know, we are known by our fruit, where we are uh, considered to be fruitful when we multiply. We are considered to be fruitful when we exemplify Jesus. And we also have the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. But let's take it one step further. What does it look like to cultivate fruit within your own church, within your own culture, within your own nation? So what is inside a fruit? I love apples. I love oranges. And uh, when you open them up, what's inside? Seeds. There's seeds inside. And what does a seed do? Seed 
goes into the ground, creates another plant or another tree, bears more fruit. It multiplies. Many of the fruits and vegetables that we have here in the United States did not originate here. A lot of them came from other places around the world. And as people came to colonize the land here in North America, they brought different seeds of fruit and vegetables, even trees to plant and to grow. We found this happen all around the world. And this is a beautiful example of how we ought to live as believers. We are to bear fruit, but inside that fruit is a seed. And that seed should go out to be planted again to reproduce and bear much fruit. Joshua Nations is about cultivating fruit in other nations and in other cultures. So our goal really is to help you cultivate fruit within your own city, within your own region, within your own nation, so that you are multiplying fruitfulness, disciples, multiplying churches there, and seeing God's kingdom truly be established. Now, all of this comes back to living a lifestyle of obedience. And this lifestyle of obedience is not a lifestyle of legalism, but it is a lifestyle of loyalty. Let me say that one more time. It's not a lifestyle of legalism, but it's a lifestyle of loyalty. I've had a number of friends over the years who've gotten hung up or stuck in legalism. And through legalism, they become so consumed about trying to earn their righteousness, earn their way into good standing with the Lord, that they lost their joy. And some of them ended up into bouts of depression, and one was even suicidal, all while seeking God, because he realized that in his own strength, everything that he tried to do was never good enough. So he tried to be more disciplined and more disciplined. And it was so legalistic that he found that he was incredibly depressed. I was having a conversation with him one morning, very early. Many of the other men in our church that were pastors and leaders, uh, they decided they no longer wanted to work with this brother because he was in such a state of depression, they could not figure out how to help him. And this man woke up and had to leave at about 5 a.m. Uh, for his job. So in order to meet with him, we had to meet at about 4 a.m., which is incredibly early. Maybe you enjoy 4 a.m. I do not. Um, so I had to be uh, meeting with him uh, somewhere at a like at a 24-hour at a restaurant. I don't know if you have those, uh, but we would have a cup of coffee and uh, some breakfast at 4 a.m. and then talk. And he was suicidal, and he stayed in this place of depression for almost a year. But he was in this place because he was trying to earn love from God. It was very, very sad. And uh, finally, he received breakthrough. I continued to encourage him and let him know that, brother, there is nothing we can do to earn our way into Christ's good graces. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. 
And I remember even one day he says, I'm concerned for you, Jason. I don't even think you're saved. <laughs> I laughed and I said, it's okay, man. I know I'm saved. I know that the Lord loves me and I love him. Um, but it's not about a legalistic lifestyle that's going to get salvation. It's only by the grace of God. And so what happened to him? He stressed this obedience lifestyle so much that he was unable to realize the grace, the goodness, the forgiveness, the love, and the mercy that was extended to him that we can never earn. And so, my friends, it's not about legalism. It's about loyalty. It's about submitting ourselves and loving Christ so much that we live a lifestyle of obedience and discipline. And so I find that it is a joy to do those things. It's a joy to study. It's a joy to worship. It's a joy to live a life surrendered to Christ. What are the things that we need to focus on as we begin to extend this movement outwards? I won't finish my notes. I've only made it through about five, uh, five of my sections of notes, and I have about 20-something more. So maybe we'll continue this on soon. But we need to focus on repentance. Uh, people no longer have heard what it means to repent of sin. They've only been told to ask for forgiveness. But forgiveness and repentance come hand in hand. So they say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry for doing this. But they've never truly repented. So we must stress repentance. We also need to return to the elemental things uh, or ordinances that we consider true to our faith, like baptism. We need to uh, talk about communion, the Lord's Supper. These are important things. Prayer, giving, evangelizing others who are lost, and loving people. These elemental things often are forgotten. And we don't visit them until that person has been showing up to church for a year or two years or even beyond. What would it like, will look like if every one of us took these very basic things, and I know these uh, faces I'm looking at, I know who is on this group right now, and I believe that you're doing these things already. But what would it look like if in every person in your church, or churches that you represent or oversee, or the Joshua Nation's Bible training centers that you lead, that you stressed these things, that people would no longer look at uh, the body of Christ as an organization and a function of ministerial activity, but they would find that it is a living, breathing, loving, growing organism that extends the love, the gospel, and the grace of Christ to a lost world. We would activate people in the church, and the church would become more vibrant, healthy, and it would grow faster. We would find that there's evangelists in our church. We would find that there are disciple-making leaders in the church. We would find people who would be church planters, whether they start an official church or a group of followers within a business, whatever that may look like, we would find a strong, growing, vibrant church that looks like what we read about in the New Testament in the book of Acts. The fruit of the Spirit would be going forth, 
the word of God would be affecting change to those who were around and lives would be transformed for the glory of Christ. That's what it would look like. So let me challenge you that uh, we return to these things. And as we put these foundations in place in our lives, in our ministries, we can begin to push forward towards transformational, reproductive, multiplying movements that will really see our whole regions changed for the body of Christ. I believe that to be true uh, in the nations represented as well as here in the United States. If we return to these things, we'll find that the Lord will use them and multiply them in a very powerful way. Thank you for joining Joshua Nations on this episode of the Inheritance Podcast. For more information about the ministry of Joshua Nations, please go to www.joshuanations.org. To join our prayer movement, please go to prayer.joshuanations.org. We hope you will join us for the next episode of the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. May God bless you. Thank you.